Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Raw and SmackDown, but also NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlin and Sidgwick to review just an atrocious episode of Monday Night Raw. Hamlet, four rematches, a match that's going to lead to another rematch next week. AJ Styles getting pinned by Jackson Bloody Riker and Rhea Ripley not understanding how a beat the clock match works. Awful. Um, it must be because I pickled my brain with 12 hours of drinking over the weekend after virtually a year off. But I found this to be probably the most tolerable Raw of 2021. Um, it obviously speaks to the low bar because we have our little chats before we hit record. And I immediately feel very much like an odd man out that it's just been another disastrous Monday on this just disastrous show um, with no hope, no future, no heart to it whatsoever. But we've made no secret of the fact that we sometimes take little shortcuts. You can watch these slightly sped up sometimes. And with a load of matches and a lot less gaga than you get on your average week, still loads because there's always loads, but less than the average, I found this what the watchable version of WWE Drek rather than something that I've come to just dread of a Tuesday morning. How many pints did you have? You sound like shit. Too many, mate. Too, I've worked out, done some maths that, um, so this is day three of a hangover. So... <laughs> Four hours of drinking equates to one day of being rough. So I'll send you a picture after we've recorded of the table of pints that five of us managed to amass after six hours in the same pub. Good time, though. They didn't answer my question. Uh, give us a ballpark figure of how many pints you had. I reckon it was 14, maybe. But we had like, <laughs> we had, like, we had like Jaegers as well, because <laughs> it was just overexcitement. The bit in the bar that they gave us, like that ended up being open till like one, two in the morning, nice and spaced out from other people. It was just like, oh Christ, clubs are back. This is even better than pubs. So it just we had like a little space for our own little dance floor. So then that's when you start buying shots as well. Um 
I'm, I'm too old, aren't I? That's the problem. It's always, it's always, always the problem. You're an old bitch. I'm an old soak, is what I am. Old bitch. I mean, 14 pints, I'd be like on my arse. Speaking of on arses, my God. The thing about the show is that quite obviously it was inoffensive, I guess, on some level compared to other wretched editions of this show, purely because there was more matches than promos and the promos are inherently either awful or completely unremarkable. Like I challenge even the most enthused subterranean mutant out there to go back and watch a Raw from five weeks ago. You tell me what Drew McIntyre said. It's just so nondescript at its least offensive. So there's more wrestling and because the wrestlers are really good, there were two very good matches on this show, right? More than what you usually get. I guess if you're being generous, you could probably say on the back of it, well, there's probably minute by minute more good than bad on this show. So what are you complaining about? The wrestling was such on this show, in one match in particular, that I resent watching when I saw that goddamn finish. It just sort of formalizes how bad this show is. It can't, none of it means anything. Even when it's good, it means nothing. Even when it's very good, it is a total literal waste of your time I, I resent last week i usually just resent what i'm watching i literally resent what i was asked to do last week given what happened on this week's show and it was still really good wrestling i, I can't deal with this show anymore yeah this is the it's thing all, it's impossible for me to like i just simply resent it we got a tweet this morning uh as part of our twitter questions on the news that said oh you know, uh, Raw was good, but what do you think about Rick Boogs on SmackDown? Uh, you can probably guess what I think about Rick Boogs on SmackDown. But I said, well, it wasn't good. Because like, like you say, look, as Sidgwick is often saying, and, and both of you, to be fair, if you just let the wrestlers wrestle, they'll probably come out with some good stuff because they're just great. But the problem is, even on this show, like, I was, I was in a mood after the first match, because I was like, oh, cool, yeah. Kingston versus versus McIntyre. That's interesting. They, they've just given us that straight away to decide who's going to be the new number one contender. And it went like 22 minutes and we didn't get a result. So anything that happened, even if it had been one of the greatest matches on Monday Night Raw, it doesn't really matter because the, the, there's no result there. Then we get like four, that leads to a rematch. And honestly, uh, Charlotte Flair versus Asuka, you know, it should be one. I should be bouncing off the walls that I get to watch that. In reality, I was like, oh, I don't really care because I've had how many different rematches of this? And why? Well, we'll get into it. But why does Charlotte Flair get a title match off the back of eating, beating Asuka this week when Asuka beat her last week? I, I, inexplicable, that. And then all the other stuff, like the main event, I was like, well, I have no investment in this whatsoever. I've seen it a million times. And well, I'm gonna just blow my top when we get to the regional stuff. Sorry, Sid, you want to say something? Mate? No, that's all right. It's all right. It's fine. I just want to say one thing, and that is, um, it's all well and good us saying, "Oh, there was an, a very good to excellent 20 minute match later on in the night that did have a clean finish." Do you think, in front of a real crowd, in about two months' time, you get a booking decision like 22 minutes just brought to a stunning, abrupt? meaningless anti-climax, which is just purely, purely lazy pretext to do the exact same thing next week because they have content obligations to fulfill without any creativity with which to do it. Do you think after that first match and the way in which it ended, the 
live crowd watching it isn't just going to go, this. Mm. Like, I'm not going to invest in the next match because the longer it goes, the more you're ex- expected to get excited, you're probably just going to get shafted. Yeah. Like, they're, they're going to sour on this booking in the live crowd, and it's going to be hilarious watching actual fans out of jail. The pandemic is we're on the way out of it. We're still in the present tense, which casts everything, even double or nothing, with a slightly bit of an overcast sky. But we're still like, the vaccines are working. That's good. The rollout isn't... Basically, people are going to be feeling like they're out of jail, and then they're going to want to just go straight home after about an hour of a three-hour roll <laughs> with booking like this. It's a total waste of my time. I think that's a particularly relevant point this week because I thought, like, they weren't awesome, but I think WWE's been a pretty effective job of telling people that the shows are coming back. Christ, I went hard. Like, introduction back down on Friday, the little, almost like, like they weren't half as fun, but, like, it reminded me of the old, like, Superstar special report segments where you would have, like, Superstar, oh, we'll we'll see you in the Serena, so-and-so, and -and so-and-so, all that sort of good stuff. But what they're doing is selling what they can't deliver, which is a good time. They're selling they're selling the return of something that you think you want, but when you get there, it's not going to be the thing you want because it's going to be a version of this. They're not going to... I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they'll try. Maybe it'll be a Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, Nitro. They can't hit a hard reset button on this product. They, they can't. The content churn has made that impossible. No matter what you like in the first segment, me and Wilborn did a podcast about John Cena return on SmackDown. John Cena could be in the first segment of SmackDown. and could be like, whoa, this is totally brand new and, and cool, and here's John Cena. It's going to go back to SmackDown after that. And like a two-minute women's match that not enough people are criticising. Or far too much dialogue in a Jimmy and Jey Uso vignette or whatever. Like, it's still going to be WWE afterwards. And what they're selling at the moment is that release from prison, as you talk about. It is absolutely what they can't deliver when the, when the sort of reality hits home. It's like the disappointment is going to be quicker than ever if they don't have... like, And you, you just can't see it. If they don't have, say, six or seven carefully plotted out lined up tv shows so these first what like four weeks of live shows back it's gonna be an absolutely disastrous look for them we've seen what happens before i'll invoke aw so it's not you getting in trouble cedric okay what happened when revolution got pushed back two weeks and you kind of felt it because the dynamites are so measured you felt that they were having to stretch things out or come up with other things to kind of interrupt what they'd had planned WWE doesn't operate like that they can't map out, let's say, eight television shows, four Raws, four Smackdowns, to ensure that the first eight live shows are like really well mapped, a quality run up the SummerSlam, so that pay-per-view feels special. Like, I wouldn't buy a ticket expecting any of that. This this company's incapable of that. I love the fact that whenever we do these Q&As, which I really enjoy doing and answering your guys' questions, but people say, like, when fans come back, is it going to get good again? Like, are they really going to try hard? What? This, here's, your, here's the perfect personification of it. It's on this show, they're there. You've got like Braun Strowman and Mandy Rose and whoever saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be coming and coming soon. And I oh, can't wait to get back into arenas. And on this show, they like w- went back. Like, they, they sort of went, oh, hold off on the stuff that we have been doing on Raw. They think what they've been doing on Raw over the last weeks is the good stuff that they've now, now got to hold back on for when fans come back. It's not like, uh, yeah, we'll get all this bollocks out of the way, and then, you know, when fans come back, we'll actually give them the matches they want. No, 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 no. What they did last week, what they did four weeks ago, was the good stuff. And this week, they were like, 
oh yeah, we'll do a 25 minute match that goes to a no contest because, you know, we want to save that good stuff for when fans, it's just an atrocious show. It is torturous to watch this. And I, I would not watch this if it was my job. I'd have quit years ago, not months ago. I'll be generous, right? I do think that even by their standards, they are wheel spinning with the idea being that they, the reason why they've done Hell in a Cell and swapped it around with Money in the Bank is because they realise Hell in a Cell acts as a a way to do a boring match again and make it slightly less boring in the minds of the audience. So a wheel spinning to get through the obligation. There's not a sense of, oh, what can we do this week? Like, there's no sense of their favourite word, opportunity. We've got an opportunity to do something cool this week because we all love our jobs and we're passionate about the process. There's literally none of that. It radiates through the goddamn screen. Even by their standards, they are wheel spinning. I will say that I think they are going to do one good set of shows by WWE standards on the Monday and Friday with the idea being that they'll start putting new combinations together. But it's still by week two. You're still going to get the same bollocks. Let's crack on because I've got a gimmick for this week. Okay. I'm excited for this now. So the show oh, opened. It's, it's actually bad audio. So, okay. <laughs> the show opened uh, with MVP introducing WWE champion Bobby Lashley. He's got Lashley's ladies with him. Uh, they walk down to the ring and they air a recap of what happened last week with the open challenge and Kingston and McIntyre getting involved in Kingston pinning the world champion, and then they come back and all the women go, boo! <laughs> they talk about the fact that they're going to be leaving the Thunderdome in July. Uh, all the fans are going to get to see their world champion, uh, Bobby Lashley, in person. Uh, MVP described Drew McIntyre as a black cloud that was following them around. Uh, Lashley said, I beat McIntyre at WrestleMania. I beat both McIntyre and Strowman at Backlash. I want to move on. That's why I issued an open challenge last week. And uh, MVP said the scrawny cartoon character Kofi Kingston accepted. And then the bloody black cloud had to show up again. He showed up again. He interrupted uh, Drew McIntyre. He said nobody should be surprised to see him. He wanted to regain the title. If it weren't for MVP, who I think just shouted, if I'm not mistaken, which I think managers are allowed to do. Anyway, if it wasn't been for him, uh, McIntyre would have won it back at WrestleMania. If it weren't for Strowman, he would have won it at Backlash. Um, he said that Lashley couldn't beat him on his own and he wondered if he even had the balls to face him. He even asked the women if Lashley had got any balls. And then Lashley McIntyre argued. New Day interrupted. Kingston came out and went, remember, I've just seen it, Kofi, mate. I know it's not your fault, but I've literally watched you pin him. And he went, do you remember when I pinned Lashley last week? Lashley said, oh yeah, you should thank McIntyre for that. McIntyre said, you're welcome. Kingston said, oh, I I don't need you. I can win without you. Uh, he didn't ask for his help, didn't want his help. And he answered the challenge last week because, long-term storytelling, guys, he never got his WWE Championship rematch. Brilliant. All the breadcrumbs that have been laid out. Pancake crumbs. Why don't we crush them and nothing happened? Remember when, like, literally weeks after Kofi lost the title, they initiated a protocol where there wasn't going to be automatic rematches because that's actual long-term storytelling. Cough. Anyway. Uh, Kingston said, 
McIntyre would receive rematch after rematch after rematch after rematch. Now it's his turn to go to the back of the line because uh, he did so. Uh, Kingston did something that he couldn't do over many, many months. Out comes Postman Pierce, uh, who announces it is going to be Kingston versus McIntyre with the winner facing Lashley for the title at Hell in a Cell. MVP liked this idea. They pulled up some sofas up on the stage and they sat down and we all thought, oh, good. Straight away into a number one contenders match and we're all going to get a satisfactory conclusion. But before we get to that, uh, Sid, your thoughts on this opening promo and series of interruptions? Right. Beyond what I'm about to say, which is setting up my gimmick of the podcast, I might just start doing it every week. This show isn't worth my time anymore. It isn't. So I'm going to set a limit of 45 seconds outside of this preamble to set it up for later in the broadcast of this podcast. Um, 45 seconds for every time you come to me. Okay. Other than the five-star review review, because I will take what we are about to cover with far more seriousness um, than this. So 45 seconds, go. Drew Drew McIntyre is just a dick. Drew McIntyre is a skid mark. Drew McIntyre is so entitled, despite the fact that he's been jobbed clean in the middle. I will, since Raw does this, I will do the exact same thing. Last week I said, can you imagine John Moxley getting beat clean in the middle with no interference? Just going, ah, I deserve it. I deserve it. I deserve it. I deserve it. Just know because they don't want you to think he's a dick. WWE don't mind if you think he's a dick because they just don't recognize decent characteristics. It's just churn, 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 churn. That makes McIntyre look like a total and utter dick. Kofi Kingston looks like he's trying to sell himself as a winner, even though clearly he cheated to win. It's just all a total mess, right? That's it. (laughs) Mostly awful, yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing I liked. Um, I don't even know if WWE realized what they were doing here, but they have sort of dangled something in Bobby Lashley wanting to be champion when fans return. I think that is a worthwhile thing for WWE especially to say. What they're doing is burying their own Thunderdome, of course, which otherwise we've been told is the greatest way to enjoy live entertainment in the world right now. But wrestlers should absolutely be thinking like that rarely does WWE feel remotely connected to the real world. Remember how long it went before they even mentioned there was a pandemic happening? And yet, for them to say, you know what's more important than holding this title? It's being the one to hold this title when the people come back. I want that. Like that, that title is so valueless at the moment that that felt like a bigger achievement. And I bought into that. That's going to put stakes in these title matches that otherwise just generally don't exist because the belt's got no value. So I thought that was interesting that they would include that in the dialogue. It's going, to, it's going to make every title match matter a little bit more. July is going to appear like this sort of quite unique deadline that they're never going to be able to use again. Um, rest is rubbish. You cannot use a phrase like dark cloud so much when you're unaware that half your audience probably feels it and doesn't want to be told it outright. It's really, really dangerous. They'll, they'll, it's, you get ever closer to Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre, especially with no crowds to be able to read how they're responding to him. Really dangerous scripting. Um, and yeah, I've already picked on the fact that Kofi Kingston's talking about an automatic rematch when he lost the title right around the time that the company was binning off automatic rematches. Um, luckily, what lends all of this a bit of credibility is at least the match they set up had a payoff. So yes, it's all fluffy dialogue, but at least what we got in the end was satisfactory. 22 sodding minutes, during which, Michael Hamlet, Adnan Burke said, I caught this, guys, what was Kofi Mania like back in the day? <laughs> Stick it on Peacock. It was- I realise time has no meaning, but come on. 
anyway, uh, look, they, they work well together, Kingston and, and, and McIntyre. Obviously, McIntyre had the strength advantage. Kingston was trying to sneak out and get little, you know, speedy little reversals in there. Kingston got reverse Alabama slammed on the edge of the ring by the baby face. Of course he did. Uh, <laughs> Kingston tried for a guillotine. McIntyre counted that into a vertical suplex. Uh, nice bit where Kingston comes off the top, goes for a flying crossbody, and uh, McIntyre catches him and nails him with a Mishinoku driver. Uh, McIntyre hits this huge spine buster, a deadlift sit-out powerbomb. Uh, then he posts himself because, of course, he does. Kingston frog splashes onto McIntyre's back. It's a two count. They go to the outside and then I think, oh, yeah, 20 minutes of my time has been wasted because we can all see where this is going. McIntyre's in Lashley's face. He turns around, trust fall from Kingston onto McIntyre into Lashley. They get back in the ring. Kingston gets an SOS for two and then immediately in comes Lashley and MVP to attack Kingston and McIntyre. It goes to a no contest after 22 sodding minutes. Uh, and post-match, Lashley gets hit with a trouble in paradise and a claymore, but nothing matters, Michael Hamlet. Nothing matters, man. Ban bin this forever, forever. This finish of the heel champion thinking he's got one over on both guys. It's never, ever good, ever. Um, you get a triple threat at the end of it, or you get what we got later on here, which, which is a rematch. It just doesn't get the champion out of jail. No champion has ever watched every other time that this has happened to see it happening. Um especially not when your champion isn't even like, I'm not giving like the cowardly heel a pass. I'm not. But when it's a cowardly heel, it tends to be that cowards are a bit thick as well. And they're so blinded by their cowardice that they make stupid decisions. None of this is Bobby Lashley. Absolutely none yeah. of it. Guy's a monster. Like when pushed, he absolutely batters people. Um, so it was particularly stupid here. And what happens is you come away from a 21 minute match that was quite stiff and they, you know, beat the all of each other comes away with you starting your review was, you know, they worked well together. It's because the ending sort of takes all the air out of the balloon. Like you'll never ever watch it again because the finish like has made it so that it's all irrelevant anyway. And you reflect on your own experience, which is what this is an emotional view and experience. You reflect on it and you're just critical of yourself instead of, you know, there's me and the fool for investing it in the first place. And then as the weeks go on, the weeks go on, you just invest in it less. So I enjoyed this at a distance, almost knowing that I wouldn't be satisfied by the end. Not a literal waste of time, because that's all that this product is half the time, but it felt like a waste of mine by the end. Star, Drew McIntyre needs to actually sell how awesome that Michinoku driver, he needs to win a match or two or three or four with that and establish it as a secondary finish, because it looks like death and he's kind of just putting it in there to do a cool spot because he's thinking twice okay because it's three hours they're tacking on 10 minutes so I'm going to have to do some new things I would not ever put someone like Kofi Kingston up against Drew McIntyre when there's already a feeling of Christ what entitled knobhead he's looking oh here's a good idea to further turn him heel gradually in the eyes of the audience we'll put him up against someone who he looks like a bit of a dick for dominating as much as he is um, it's a total waste of time 22 minutes that meant nothing just Transparent creative, transparent creative bankruptcy finished. <laughs> I wonder what that was for a second, and I realized uh, we got a graphic saying, Don't worry, guys, Asker versus Charlotte Flair again tonight. Can't believe I'm getting annoyed about them giving us that, but it's just WWE doing what they do best. And then we see Charlotte Flair arriving 
Rhea Ripley confronting her backstage. Nikki Cross comes in and looks like a sodding child. Uh, she reckons she can beat either of them. They're both like, who? Who are you? Uh, Charlotte says, oh, I can beat you in two minutes if I didn't have a match already scheduled to tonight. Ripley said, that's why people don't like you. You're on, you talk down to people. Charlotte said, well, why don't you go and beat her for, in two minutes? She went, well, I'll be happy to. And then we got the match. Sorry, Hamlet, before we get to the match, I have to get your reaction there. That's why people don't like you. Oh, because that thing you just did. Yeah, I'm going to do that thing too. <laughs> yeah, that's why people don't like you anymore. Or know what the f- to think about you. I hate this Rhea Ripley character. I hate her. Like, I don't, I don't get her. I don't think she gets her. No. Christ almighty. And then the booking of this. Like, it wasn't even like, Sidrick is doing a better job of booking Beat the Clock in his podcast than they managed to on this episode of Raw. Start. Um, Nicky Cross is just a total geek, an absolute geek who is, and it's fine, you can be a geek, but don't embrace being a geek like she did later in the night. Charlotte Flair is, it's an all heel feud. Yeah. Who's the biggest <laughs> tosser? Is it Rhea Ripley or is it Charlotte Flair? Who's the most detestable person who's got changed the channel heat? Well, I'll tell you what, like, I'm pressing that button harder to change the channel. I'm going to press that that little bit harder for Charlotte Flair, though, because she's that little bit more successful. Like, basically, I'm going to press my nail into my thumb, changing the channel for both of them. So, realistically, mission accomplished. Oh, Christ, I beat the clock. Hey, hey, Rhea, did you get less detestable? Now you're stood next to Charlotte Flair. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah, so we get the match, and I was sat there thinking, what are they going to do here? Because, like, you've got the world champion there. But you've also got Nikki Cross, who's a former, you know, tag champion, you know, great star in NXT as well. How are they going to do this? And, uh, well, they did it. So they had a big two minutes up on the screen and in the corner of your screen as well. Uh, and they just said, if Nikki Cross can survive Rhea Ripley in two minutes, she wins. And, like, they sort of, you know, Rhea Ripley out outpowers her initially and she's there sort of tapping an imaginary watch on her wrist and I was like right we're just gonna get a rip tied out of nowhere here for her to win the match no what happened was Nikki Cross got some offense in jawbreaker flying crossbody and Ripley got annoyed that he actually trying in this match rather than just running away for two minutes and forgot the match she was in I think that was the story Rhea Ripley forgot a beat the clock match a beat the clock challenge a minute into it when it's two minutes she drop kicks her, shoulder tackles her, puts her in the corner and just stomps on her. And then the timer runs out. And she goes, oh, God, I knew I was something I was meant to be doing. I was meant to be beating her in the beat the clock challenge. Nikki Gross acts like she's just won the world title. And Charlotte comes down and then Nikki Cross does, and I don't like it when Rhea Ripley does it, does her finger waving thing to Charlotte. And my head pretty much imploded, if I'm perfectly honest, at that point. Sige, I don't think I could have booked Rhea Ripley worse than what they've done with her since she'd gone up to Raw. Start. Nikki Cross is the second of three baby faces on this show that embody such awful, childish, toddler characteristics. And I hate all three of them. Drew McIntyre, Nikki Cross, and God damn it, we will get to Ricochet, that complete and utter dickhead. I hate him. Rhea Ripley is a total moron. There is no winner in this match. No one comes out of it looking good. The only person who comes out of this even vaguely happy with the slightest bit of dopamine is Nick Khan. 
because it's like right okay another two minutes of content we can get that total up and we can we can flog it to peacock look at how much extra content we've produced for you for the next meeting or whatever they have i've beat the clock with uh, three seconds to spare yeah miserable booking of all of, of everybody everybody uh, like i was with you Yvonne. i didn't think it was going to get much worse than maria ripley doing those faces after the match at backlash this was more annoying and re- and like Nikki Cross is the only one this is an earnest baby face out of all three of them and she became the most irritating of all of them after a two minute virtual squash uh, Rhea Ripley has a one minute memory because it's not just that she forgot what she had to do in a two minute match this was set up about a minute earlier it was like that one even or even yet in between it that was all she had to remember like <laughs> it's not like this was like three weeks ago so like, oh Christ yeah this is that thing that we talked about it's like the last segment 
a superior show to this. It's because I take the jobbers on AEW Dynamite more seriously than the main eventers on Raw or SmackDown. And the reason is because they're not like daddy asking their dad for matches or resolutions to their little stupid squabbling bitch problems, right? And at least the jobbers, the babyface jobbers, if they get their dicks knocked into the dirt on Dynamite or Dark or Dark Elevation, they'll accept the result and they won't be assholes about it like Ricochet, cancel. Dad and Pierce. That's all I've got. <laughs> He's no longer that, like, and this was generous, but there was like a few weeks where it was the sort of, oh, I thought, like, I can't do your voice over. Literally, my throat is too sore, but that, like, is he the best authority figure ever? No, he's every single other authority figure ever. That's what he is. Every single other one ever. Um, the squabble with Sonya Deville is terrible now. <laughs> Clearly, like, they've lost interest in that a little bit. They're just, like, splitting the time across both shows. Uh, and, yeah, wrestlers, even Drew McIntyre. Kautos to dad. Then we got um, Charlotte Flair versus Asuka. Skip. 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 I, I'm but... going to skip a goddamn match that they put so much work, physical and mental work into this. The counters are great. The action was pretty great. The idea is that they've locked into this dynamic where they are working with each other every week and they've got the goddamn good grace to fold that into their matches. They are doing counters to counters to counters. The idea is that they can never decide who really is the better. So they have the goddamn grace again to put like a bit of struggle behind it. I'll spill out the rumors. Despairing through this match that they can't put the other one away. When will it end? They are telling a decent in-ring story that's germane to how horrible the booking is. That's how good they are. But I don't. <laughs> I can't possibly care because this match erased, like erased, 20 of the most pointless minutes of my life spent last week. If you're going to do this, do it in four minutes. But you can't because there's three hours. What's the thinking the symmetrical finish is good as well? Because... Surely somebody shouldn't be getting captured with what they were beaten with one week earlier and then there'll actually be ramifications off the back of this one. I think they've used that finish to fool less discerning viewers into believing that this is really quite clever. It's the, it's the stupidest possible outcome. <laughs> Come with a kick out. That's how that should work. Yeah, Charlotte targeted Asker's leg. They worked really well together. But in the end, Asker went for an Asker lock. Charlotte rolled through, cradle, pinfall. There you go. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So instead, enough of all that. It's now time for this. It's short. It's crap. It's wrestling related. The five star review review. Nailed it. This five star review review is brought to you by Bradders. If you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related, subscribe to What Culture Wrestling and leave us a five-star review review like Bradders, who writes, Excellent podcast, fellas. I've been watching The Graps since Survivor Series 1992, and during this crap sandwich of a pandemic, your tireless efforts to inform and entertain have been very much appreciated. I feel Adam's relentless enthusiasm, maybe not this week, radiating through my headphones. 
while Mr. Sidgwick's grounded cynicism strikes a lovely balance. Last but by no means least, Hamlet's unending praise of Bret Hart and the new generation era always strikes a chord. The zombie brand partnership at Backlash got me thinking. For a five-star review review, perhaps you'd consider that time Robocop freed Sting from a cage in WCW. Keep up the good work, guys. This is the highlight of the Raw review for me this week, Hamlet. And tell us about the history, the backstory, the legacy of RoboCop and WCW. It is closer to zombies than I think even the most ardent WCW fan would like to believe this one. They were promoting RoboCop 2, a great kick-ass ridiculous sequel to a really fun first film, but a film, something that was not real. <laughs> and in order to promote a film, to co-promote, much like with the zombies at Backlash, rather than getting an actor or people involved in the film, to just, like you say, be like elevated versions themselves, maybe talk about it, maybe be like, hey, Sting, you're as tough as Robocop. Let's talk a bit about Robocop. They brought the pretend <laughs> robotic policeman <laughs> to a wrestling show to be a danger. He was a mate of Sting, basically. It was as if, like, Sting's so hot around the Hollywood sets that he's made friends with all the stars. Like, who? Robocop. <laughs> 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 Not anybody with, like... Hollywood pedigree, no, like Oscar winners, no, the actual character. It's wrestling, so you would just have to believe, like the wrestlers, that the character in the film was real. Hey, Stinger, we're going to the pub after after the. <laughs> Do you want to come? Yeah, it's all right if I bring my friend. Oh, yeah, who is it? Robocop. I just. At least he could uh, drink neck oil. In the case of Army of the Dead and Robocop 2, these are like incredibly violent films <laughs> being cross-promoted with the idea of it's a kids TV show pro wrestling uh, it wasn't WCW they were gearing to a kids audience WWE is despite the pedophile clowns and <laughs> some of the things on the show but fundamentally they want kids to watch it and they expect kids to watch it and the idea is oh kids should like this like, what whatever next like what we're going to see oh we're going to do cross-promotion with David Cronenberg and uh, and then Vink and then Virk's head is going to explode <laughs> in a bit of cross-promotional access. Like, whatever next? Can they not cross-promote something that is even vaguely... That, that the target audience is actually allowed to watch by their parents? I mean, I know the 55-year-old Sam Martino marks are probably going, all right, okay, well, I forgot my uh, Netflix password. What was it, dear? It's one, two, three, four, you see now, old bitch. <laughs> they could... The people who actually watch it are allowed to watch Army of the Dead or Robocop. Please, just, to, just for one less layer of insanity for my brain to comprehend, can you just cross-promote something that the target audience is allowed to watch by Mummy and Daddy? I loved, I watched the, the clip we're about to talk about and then uh, suggested videos on YouTube. Uh, there was also uh, <laughs> a promo that Sting cut uh, with Robocop, where Robocop pulls out his gun. I was like, well, that's going to be... That will level the playing field. Four horse, four on two. Ooh, it's a bit unfair. That. Oh, no, he's got he's got a semi-automatic weapon. It's fine. We're all good. What coke-snorting police officials get murdered to death in RoboCop, which is a pitch-black satire of how fundamentally broken everything is. Things hit with the scorpion death ray. People <laughs> getting like, mutated and toxic ooze. I know some of the WWE fans can identify with that, but still, it's meant to be for the kids. Uh, also, I've got a bit of a surprise for you in a minute. Um, but this was what, Capital Combat, was it? It was just taking place at? 
and is it JR on commentary? Yeah, Jim Ross and one of his favourite ever partners, a lovely old fella called Bob Caudle. He simply doesn't belong in a wrestling world with Robocop. <laughs> JR says, wow, great ovation for Robocop. <laughs> That <laughs> made me laugh. I had to stop three seconds in. Whoa, great ovation for Robocop. <laughs> oh, as he makes his way to the ring. Wait a minute, the horsemen are already out. <laughs> they just threw Sting in the cage. They threw Sting in that cage that Cornette was in. Sting has been caged by the horsemen, but it it comes Robocop, Bob. Why was there a, <laughs> why was there a cage there? Just to no people. Um, Jim Cornette was in it from a, the, the last match on the show was where like he couldn't interfere, so he was placed in a cage. And the Horsemen famed for bludgeoning people and breaking people's legs in car doors saw that cage and thought, "Perfect, that's what I want to do." There could not be a more suitable visual illustration of how far the Horsemen had just completely descended. The fact that Horsemen in cages, right? War games. Right, we're also going to do is trap Dusty in cages and absolutely kill him if it weren't for Nikolai Koloff coming out. Here's a cage. It's tiny and its bars are made of rubber. <laughs> not, not quite the same. That should include you in to the fact that this is rubbish. Sid's still in his tux. Full tux. <laughs> what would have happened... I realise we do this often when they just randomly book matches for the main event, but what would have happened if the four husband hadn't? Attack Sting and put in a cage. Would Robocop just come out? Because he couldn't go up the steps, could he? Smile and wave, please go and see Robocop too. <laughs> I, like, I like that what would have happened if they had put him in the cage and Robocop wasn't there. They'd have left and then somebody would have got him out of the cage. <laughs> oh, horseman, bloody hell. <laughs> uh, Bob Bob comes on. Gives us a rundown of who's there. Sid Vicious, Ollie Anderson, Arn Anderson. They all attacked him and they threw him in the... I think they've thrown him in the cage. They've established that. But look at Robocop. He's approaching. <laughs> slowly, very slowly he is. They're backing away from him. Oh, JR's like, well, he's not intimidated, Bob. Robocop's going right to the cage. And then I don't know what's being said. I listened back to this. I couldn't catch it. Someone shouts, you're going to be a bucket of balls when we finish with you. It stings <laughs> rubbish. Patter. I love Sting. I love surf surface Sting more than Crow Sting. I'm a surface Sting truther, but my God, some of his patterns are absolutely abject. I think that was Ole Anderson grabbing a mic and going, "You're going to be a bucket of bolts when we're finished with you." But it I sounds like he's—it sounds like he's screaming like "You stupid bollocks" or something like that. <laughs> Well, Sting is saying something, so he's either been synced up with on <laughs> Anderson, worse than the Shockmaster was. I think it's going to be a bucket of bones, but bucket of bolts. Oh, like, not, it's not robot cop. <laughs> There's no actual bolts. It's like a more sophisticated outfit. <laughs> the horsemen are back with a wrench. Are they going to hit him? They're going to just very carefully dismantle him. <laughs> oh. So anyway... Finally, in the time it's taken us to discuss this, Robocop got to the uh, got to the uh, steel cage, and he puts his hands on a steel cage and he bends the bars, and the door just slowly opens. <laughs> and he goes, "Well, better take it off his hinges." Just walk out the door. It's fine. I've just said that. I'm just thinking about how, considering this era of WCW, you had the Juicer and Arachnaman. I'm surprised they didn't have a robot cop. Robot cop. Like, 
Get Buff Bagwell in a robot outfit. Uh, JL says, wow, what strength by Robocop. Now do you want a piece of him, Horseman? And uh, Bob says, yeah, look at Ollie and uh, look at Ollie and Arn and Big Sid back up. The expression on their faces, what the heck have we got here? <laughs> he does a little voice when he says that. And JR says, well, they say there'll be another day when Ollie Anderson saw Robocop pull that steel door right off the cage. They said, we'd better wait for another day. Sting and Robocop have asserted themselves here. Sting looks phenomenal. He looks to be 100%, Bob. He and his buddy Robocop, the best friends, the best friends, him and Robocop. I tell you the horse, I like this look. This is my favorite bit. I tell you the horseman wanted no part of either of those, especially the Stinger and Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And that's it. That's literally it, isn't it, Ambert? Uh, yep, that's your lot. Um, then we get a smiling wave and then it's back to... So Sting was going to win the world title from Ric Flair. That's why he was feuding with the Horseman. It was to be the like this decision that had been fought over by WWE management for years. Um, Great American Bash 1990 was to anoint Sting. Basically, for Ric Flair to pass the torch and effectively ease into retirement in 1990. <laughs> the same as the like Warrior coming through at the same time in WWE. It was just like, Sting's the guy now. Have we got anything on the board for that like last big push? Just think being Ric Flair. And then they just point out a picture of Robocop. Plus question mark equals cash. Like Sting did not get over as world champion um, and lost the title back to Ric Flair, who mm. came to the ring dressed as the Black Scorpion in a spaceship. Uh, so it's a little, normally I'd just go straight to the comment section here, but I found a little bonus footage. Uh, from a brilliant uh, YouTube series called Are You Serious? Oh, God. Road Dog. Presented by Josh Matthews and Road Dog. Oh, Christ. Two of the worst people alive. We just tried to, like, basically steal Wrestle Crap's bit. And it was just like, oh, they're our, it's our footage. Off. <laughs> two of the worst people of all time. We have some patter with Puppet H, I think it is. Yeah. Those gentle, like, Every now and then, like, they'll make a joke about the puppet not putting anybody over, and it's like, yeah, best hope Triple H doesn't see this, otherwise somebody's getting fired. <laughs> Joke's on you, Josh Matthews, actually happened. Did he say that? Well, he's out on you on Facebook being transphobic, so I'm pretty sure he feels entitled <laughs> to say anything he wants. Rule dog, one of the dirt worst humans. Yeah, it's awful, this. This is worse than the actual footage, is them trying to make patter out of it. They go, uh, <laughs> Capital Combat. Wasn't that the pay-per-view from last year? Oh, no. That was Capital Punishment. Road Dog goes, don't worry, this is two. And Josh Miley goes, wait, what? <laughs> Road Dog goes, punishment. Because, uh, yeah, punishing watching it. Improv chimps, was it? <laughs> it's honestly, it's like, you you can't see this, obviously, but it's just like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Michael Zidrick. Is that Kevin Nash under there? Sidgwick responds, no, he hasn't torn his quads yet. <laughs> Literally one of the lines. Road dog, uh, slut shame in a uh, pin, pinwheel pyro. <laughs> pinwheel pyro. <laughs> Very manly. <laughs> what? Uh, God, I hate road dog. He might be at least, I think he's overtaking Stephanie and people I hate the most. What is road dog's problem with everything? Like, <laughs> made it. Didn't make it. He was over for like 1998 and elements of 1999. And he's just a catchphrase. Mm -hmm. 
don't lock up Sting, they say, as Sting's being thrown in the cage by the Four Horsemen. <laughs> lock up whoever wrote this segment. <laughs> uh, shoot on the that's like that. Is it any wonder that NXT is in the state that it's in? <laughs> There's uh, bits where they shoot on uh, Robocop, Robocop being stabbed by Sid Scissors and the Four Horsemen not being in WWE's Hall of Fame. And uh, Josh Matthew goes, oh, awkward. And I'm pretty sure they were better than DX. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I, I'm going to save my favourite bit, so I'm going to jump ahead. At the end, when they're walking out, Road Dog goes, <laughs> thought they were going to kiss there for a moment. They got weirdly close. What what are you doing? What's going on? He hates them. Yeah. He hates them. Honestly. He is a horrible human being. Uh, but my favorite. Bit... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Christ. Ugh. Fuck off. Seriously. But then, like, he doesn't totally hate it. He's probably got your stopwatch. All right, I'll watch it for 45 seconds, but then no more. <laughs> See what, what it is that I really hate the most about it. <laughs> God, my finger slipped off to this. We, we stopped. <laughs> Oh, they're still doing it. Ugh. Look, watch. <laughs> <laughs> but my favourite bit was... Robocop's uh... balls deep now. Huh? <laughs> 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 have to keep watching it. Now, we've gone this far. I might as well watch the end now. <laughs> <laughs> but the bit where Robocop's bending the bars, Josh Matthews, I'll tell you what, he's got some zingers in his pockets. He goes... <laughs> Well, those bars made of Twizzlers. <laughs> and- oh my God, I hate them both. <laughs> I hate them both so much. And the but- thing is, I don't know anything about Josh Matthews other than the fact that he's so bad at what he does. Right? <laughs> he might be like the nicest guy who's got like nice values. It's like uh, be excellent to each other human being. And yet he's almost more annoying than the guy who's got the worst values of anyone in WWE, almost. And think of the goddamn ground that covers. Oh, Josh Matthews, man. My favourite bit comes next. Remember, like, when NXT first happened and Cole was playing the heel and Josh Matthews thought, all right, my natural role then is to be like, oh, shut up, Cole. And then he realised, obviously, Vince just wasn't watching or didn't care. So he just thought, oh, I'm going to be just like Michael Cole. Yeah, you stupid idiot, wrestlers. It was like, no, nobody else listened to that. Women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell, so, him, tell him, Michael. So Matthews goes, huh, what, those bars made of Twizzlers? And then Road Dog goes flimsy, like the majority of WCW's booking in the nineties. <laughs> Hang on, you when you get your ass handed to you by WCW? Oh my god! I, oh my god! I, I, I want to die. So this I is found- my reprieve from the imminent death I wish for. <laughs> Why are you putting Josh Matthews in the mix? Well, I went to the comments section. No one asked for this on the review. No, no one said, listen to Josh Matthews' pop zingers. I didn't ask for this. I wasn't prepared for this either. I think we, I think I want a five-star review review on a Josh Matthews segment next, or a Road Dog segment, either or. Um, because the comments section, uh, Gim Joe, we're going there now. Oh, these do not reflect the views of myself, the daddy boys, everyone at What Culture Wrestling, of course. Certainly this doesn't reflect us. It must be awesome being around Road Dog. He is hilarious. Puppet H is great also. When you started that, I thought you were going to say something. Must be awesome being around Robocop. <laughs> Never mind all that. What about Road Dog? <laughs> uh, no. 
Mr. Red 88. Uh, Sid, what would you say is the biggest missed opportunity in wrestling? The invasion. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely fair shout. Not Mr. Red 88, who writes, Robocop should have helped Sting at WrestleMania 31 when Triple H came out as the Terminator. <laughs> biggest missed opportunity in wrestling. I mean, I. Unbelievable. Imagine, remember how long that sodding rant was? Imagine how long it would have taken Robocop to get to the ring. You see, on Robocop versus Terminator on the Mega Drive, when the heads, the heads are just clean off, like they're just blood spatter everywhere. Imagine, like, imagine how many times they could have got Triple H for one of them. <laughs> Get off. <laughs> uh, Hawaiian Punch Puncher says every week this Sige. As much as AEW be trying to bring back the past, I'm surprised they haven't tried this yet, LMAO. Why do you come to me with that? See, you've put us in a mood. Having to just second-hand listen to Josh Matthews saying things. This will cheer you up. Jawa 2 writes, uh, uh, this is inexplicable, by the way. Non of re- no, no reference of, of, of this in the, in the Robocop video. Mean Street Posse MSP is just PMS rearranged. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, okay. Okay. <laughs> At uh, the corporate ministry, PMS MPS. <laughs> and uh, final thing, thanks Next for, Red Bloods. Uh, thanks once again to Bradders. If you want to suggest a five star review, review what culture wrestling on iTunes, leave us a five star review. Suggest something short, crap, and wrestling related. Route one for the final, final quote. Evo man just writes <laughs> more like Robocock. <laughs> Oh, Chris Morrison, a comment section. <laughs> oh, God. Back to Monday Night Raw. Uh, MVP and Lashley have been summoned to Postman Pierce's office, who says, uh, what champion, what kind of champion do you want to be? And, uh, yeah, he says he wants to represent Raw as champion. He's certainly better for it than uh, Kingston and McIntyre. And Pierce went, right. Well, if you get involved in the Kingston McIntyre match next week, or even if you appear at ringside, you're suspended without pay for 90 days. Okay. Like, if you say the Tron. And <laughs> who's going might be somebody playing a guitar, you know, that they that Bobby Lashley and MVP know. It's uh, look, they've promised to finish here, but it speaks to what they have to do to promise to finish, doesn't it? Could they just not give finishes? Because <laughs> they're not just giving <laughs> the matches. Uh, then we got a video package for the Shelton Benjamin Cedric Alexander feud, which I thought was over, if I'm honest. I thought they had a match. I thought they said we're going to have one match and then we're done. And Shelton won it. No. Because oh, this was never over. And uh, Cedric Alexander cut a promo on Benjamin, where I think half the time he, his voice broke and he went, Look at me, Shelton! Look at me! Hi, Shelton! Look over here! I'm still in my prime! You're old, you're an old git! I can bat again. <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> and then finished. And Corey Graves, who I thought was meant to back the heels. I thought that was his job on commentary to be like, ah, you know, like when he used to slag off Elias. And I was like, no, you're meant to like what he does. And then 
Yeah, he said Cedric Alexander had the charisma of a cinder block. So thanks for that. Thanks for that, Corey. I'm convinced that was fed. Yeah. That was a fed line by a man who was, what the hell is he talking about? Well, you better believe it was a fed line. Yeah, it was a fed line. Uh, match went 12 minutes. Uh, Cedric Alexander versus Sean Benjamin. Uh, Alexander takes him off the top with a really good hurricane rods, to be fair. Benjamin's nailing him with a series of German suplexes, but Alexander pokes him in the eye and then hits the neuralizer for the victory. Sage, 45 seconds off, off you go. I would want to say start. Start. Nice enough match. Nice enough match. I did not want to listen to um, Cedric Alexander talk for as long as he did in that voice. It was so weird. It was not good television. It was not a good promo at all. The thing that struck with me far more than the match itself was the referee kept remonstrating with Shelton Benjamin, who was trying to get the match started. The referee was like, oh, no, 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 no. You kept, honestly, if you watch, I watched them two and not the promo. And it's like, in the referee's mind, had Cedric Alexander talked all night long, then he would have been allowed to do that. He would have been allowed to do that. Um, given what happened later on the show, I kind of wish he did, because I would have just thought, oh, this is going to go all night. I'll just switch off. Hamlet. Well, it's 50-50 in the minute. Like, so we know Cedric's the body. He won with a poke to the eye to get control. Um, but they've had this match. Have I, have I, I've not misremembered. Have I? Shelton won fairly handily, fairly quickly. And and KO'd him backstage last week when he stopped yeah. being in bed again. Um, but this has happened later on in the calendar. So I guess that means like Cedric's had the last word. Uh, last yeah. got a winner. Aye, yeah. Nice is about right, I think. This um, wasn't long enough to be one of them, like the offensiveness of the first match. You know, you didn't get the 20 odd before a slightly disappointing finish. Mm. Uh, Cedric Alexander's not going to become a big star he's not right he's just you can he just, might not but what about gary the goat girl but <laughs> you can just see it already like if you're gonna put him in a mask and a bloody overalls you might as well call him bob evans and go darker with the gimmick but like cedric alexander is never gonna be a star walks into vince's office cedric you're the goat oh thanks boss gary the goat girl right that is <laughs> Right, the actual best part of the show came next. Best match, best 13 minutes on the show. Riddle versus Xavier Woods. Oh my God, give Xavier Woods a, a, a singles title. He's so good. Riddle looked great as well in this, to be fair. Uh, great bit of grappling to start things off. Riddle showing off his strength. And then Woods, just reminding you of how ridiculously strong he is. I know Riddle's insane as well, but that bit where he pulled Riddle off the floor into a vertical suplex was just jaw-dropping. It's been shared all over social media today. Riddle fights back, uh, knee strike. Woods then uh, counters a bro Derek attempt. Rock kicks him into the corner. Press slam into a gut buster from Woods. Uh, Riddle then does a deadlift German suplex off the middle rope and drops Xavier Woods right on his head. That was slightly terrifying, but seemed to be fine. So... Thank goodness for that. Uh, they go back and forth, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, Riddle hits an RKO on Xavier Woods for the one, two, three. He celebrates and he dedicates the win to his partner in crime, I suppose, Randy Orton. I love this. This was my favorite part of Monday Night Raw, Hamlet. What a fabulous match, man. Like, what an absolutely fabulous match. Raw has got no right to be the stage with which his match took place on. 
Riddle, frankly, has been got no right to be as good as he is in a way that like distracts you from what you might think of him. Xavier Woods does this thing like, and he's such a he's such clearly a very selfless, not just a selfless wrestler, but like a selfless man. Like we hear all these stories of what he did for the likes of Tyler Breeze in NXT, and just how he would like work with everybody to try and get them over. Clearly, just this endlessly creative human being. So of course he's there for other talents. You know, the New Day exists mostly because of Xavier Woods and all the ideas that he brought to the table, like inspired Big E and Kofi Kingston with much needed confidence, like to be the best versions of themselves. Uh, and yet whenever he wrestles, you start to question what it is he can't do. Mm. Like he flies, he's jacked, and he's got the strength to be able to pull off like that, as you say, that like much gift suplex spot, which is really important now. Like that sort of stuff's currency in modern wrestling something that it's going to be a takeaway that's actually going to make a match memorable on a Raw. This match was really memorable. This is one of the best Raw matches of the year, hands down for me, um, because the work was so good, because it was so like stiff at points, like da- borderline dangerous, but they were just clearly putting so much trust in each other. And why would you not when you've evidently got the abilities and the skill sets of these two? Love the finish, man. Like, love this finish. RK bro, a clicking. Like I mentioned on our preview pod, I think it was, that there's absolutely no rush to do the split now because you start looking for things that crowds are going to want to care about, and it's this. Crowds are going to want to care about this in person. Just fantastic. And like not even too long. Mm. Like Raw is a show that often, you know, as you could argue this very episode, is overindulgent for because of a need for content, because of a need for churn. This didn't even do that. Didn't even pass through that last commercial break. You think, oh, I just wish they'd gone now. Wish they'd gone now. Like just timed out perfectly. Love this. I'm going to drop the 45 seconds deal because this is worthy of four, more than 45 seconds of rushed. I just can't be honest with this anymore because this had absolutely no right. That's the only thing that was flown through my head when I was watching this match. This had no right because, as I said earlier, if you watched in a pretend this is a live set, and if you'd watched that finished, that opening match, you'd think, right, well, there's no point in investing in anything on the show. Absolutely not. I'm in a mood. Everyone would be in a mood and no one would react. This would pick up a dead crowd back to life. And God damn it, those WWE crowds of 2019 were dead as well. Let's never forget that, ever. Um, this had no right to be this good because of what followed in the show. It is part of a decent storyline, I would say, beyond the the tomatoes element. You can forget <laughs> about that. Um, Xavier Woods is an absolutely magnificent babyface and on this evidence, it's a total indictment that he hasn't held a singles title yet. Even if we don't think they mean anything, it's still at the very least a temporary signal that will change from red to green and back again as quickly as an actual traffic light system. But nonetheless, it's still very much an investment. If not a prestigious symbol, it is nonetheless an investment. Xavier Woods is on unreal form in this match. Spirited, his facials were unbelievable. He worked to Matt Riddle's level as an actual in-ring guy, and that level is unbelievable. Um, but it was just the spirit of the match, not the actual dangerous high spots, but just the way Xavier Woods was just so insistent on selling it as this must-win tone of a fight, like harrowing match. Mm. Just an unbelievable effort from both guys. And then... Uh, we found out Rhea Ripley's going to defend her title against Charlotte in Hell in a Cell. What? Why? That was last week if she beat Asuka. But anyway, it doesn't matter. And then we got... Oh, 
AJ Styles versus Jackson Riker. It'd been advertised earlier, and I was like, what's they're both heels again? We literally had AJ Styles with Elias going, what, 10 minutes at the start of last week's show. Uh, Styles batters him as he should. It's AJ Styles and Jackson Riker. And then they're getting back in the ring, and Elias suddenly pops up, hits him with a knee strike, goes and hides into the, in the timekeeper's area. Riker hits a black hole slam. Jackson Riker pins AJ Styles. Post match, out comes Big George, who was presumably not at ringside, so they could do this thing. Uh, he comes down, they do. Yeah, a very nice shot of like from hiding in the timekeeper's area. He sort of looms over there to, to get get Elias. He and Riker legs it, but Elias trips and falls and gets hoyed into the, the the video screen things at the top of the ramp that all go fuzzy off the back of almost chucking Elias into it. Awful, this Sidge. Start. It doesn't matter that there was an interference because we've established that five minutes of angle pretext can go 20 on this show. So it doesn't really matter. Um, Two minutes is worse than the interference. I think AJ Styles is playing a baby face because he's de facto a baby face because he's fighting heels. And it's lucky again, that it's meaningless that this happened to AJ Styles. He'll remain AJ Styles. He's kind of a living legend in WWE law and indie law at this point because this would somehow contrive to kill a baby face before the baby face had even turned. It'd be fighting baby faces again in about a month's time. Who the hell knows? This was the definition of meaningless because he couldn't even be insulted or anxious on AJ's behalf because none of it even matters. Cancel. Yeah, you can like, like the faintest of praise for one nice shot. Because ultimately, like the, it was such a cartoonish contrivance to get there that it almost doesn't make it worthwhile. You know, like they somebody has come up with the idea. They haven't come up with the idea. Christ, they shot Andre the Giant from a low angle forever. But like the lowest possible angle to shoot Omos and have Elias try to hide from him. That's where this starts. Everything exists to get to that shot. He telling me a room full of people and a guy that has made literally billions of dollars off this this type of shtick couldn't have thought of a better way to arrive at that shot because it was a good shot, but you're left not really wanting to give it much praise or wanting to reward it, reward the idea of the benefit of having a guy so big and a heel so terrified of him because of the match that came before it, the, the, the steps that they took to get there invalidates what was otherwise exactly how you present Omos, like to the letter, how you present Omos. Um, and you're left thinking, oh, so that's why you're, did all that and you, you pinned a guy that you like and you came up with a stupid finish and where was almost to begin with you're asking like six questions when you shouldn't need to ask any just find a place in a frigging building that you've rented for the last six months to hide so where Elias can hide from a giant it cannot be that difficult it can't be ridiculous like you say all for that shot they made big jaw looks so big and well Elias looks so small um right we had Sheamus versus Umberto Carrillo time for another rematch guys four minutes uh, Carrillo gets a bit of offense in, but in the end, Sheamus rolls him up, handful of tights, one, two, three. Post-match, Sheamus attacks Carrillo. Ricochet makes the save. They both hit Sheamus with moonsaults. Ricochet hits a 450 splash, but decides not to nick his clothes and his hat this week. Oh my God, Hamlet. I This match wasn't noteworthy, so I just want to say that 
I thought it was interesting that Ricochet wasn't picked on to be one of those wrestlers to say that he couldn't wait for fans to come back because he probably doesn't notice they've left. He's been like, I've got a restaurants all the time. What are you talking about? Um, so <laughs> it was like, he was a, a curious omission from that. Um, I am getting increasingly worried, and it's not particularly the fault of Humberto Correa or even Ricochet, as irritating as the backlash thing was. I'm getting increasingly worried about the fate of a Seamus character that I was quite invested in. Um, it's probably back to the Woods Riddle stuff, really. Maybe maybe he's just got no right. Maybe they've got no right to the matches that Seamus can have, the quality of the work that Seamus does on this show. Um, because I don't like this angle at all. don't like him as a bully, as an open challenge guy, as a guy beating up the little guys. But there's so many little guys that you're supposed to think that Ricochet's a baby face for what he does at the end. I, I don't like any of this. I think it's a waste of the, of the good match formula that Seamus had bizarrely unlocked earlier this year. Start. Uh, Ricochet is just the most unlikable cock in this entire company, maybe even more so than Road Dog or Stephanie McMahon at the minute. The way they book him is terrifying to me. Not terrifying because I've given up, but it should be terrifying to other people. This is what they think baby faces do. Baby faces, I should not have to remind you, are the good people, are the good guys, are the John Moxley's of this world. Ricochet is a little entitled tosser who can't accept the loss because he's a toddler booked by someone with the mind frame of a toddler in Vince McMahon. And how are they ever going to have someone worthy of Roman Reigns? Roman Reigns versus a good baby face is literally the last thing this company's got and they can't book baby faces because look at Ricochet. Uh, right, we had a backstage interview with the former women's tag team champions, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Uh, Baszler was upset. She said they lost again because Jax was distracted by that git Reginald. Jax was in all... Huh? Just heading to the main event. Yeah, we're nearly there, mate. So Jack says, oh, don't be a bully. Uh, you know, he got, his, uh, he got fire and his eyes and what have you last week. Basically, doesn't care. She said, look, we, we were an unstoppable force until he got involved and you started getting distracted by him. She said, look, we're going out there tonight without you and we're going to win back those tag team titles. She said, Reginald, just remember this. Reginald, you stay in the back, whatever happens or else. End of promo. Okay. Then we got another Eva Marie evolution thing. She's talking about being a trainer or something. Okay. Uh, main event time. Natalia and Tamina versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler for the Women's Tag Team Champions. Early on in the match, Natalia and Baszler are in there like three, four minutes in. Uh, Baszler's in control. She's going to do that arm stomp thing. Reginald walks out. What? Why? Not even in any trouble. Just decides, comes out, and goes, oh, I do, do need to be here for reasons. So uh, that allows Natalia to, to get out the arm broker spot thing and... and and to go into the break. They come back. Baszler's still in control. Natalia slams her, tags in Tamina. Uh, Jax comes in. Um, it's just really sloppy. Natalia and, uh, sorry, Tamina and, and Nia Jax. Tamina hits Jax with an uppercut and a super kick, gets a two count. Baszler tags in. Tamina gives her a power slam, tags in Natalia. And to, uh, Tamina and Nia Jax keep brawling on the outside. Jax backdrops Tamina over the barricade. Um, so it's just Natalia, two on one, just Natalia. Natalia hits a discus clothesline on Baszler. 
Reginald jumps up on the apron to prevent her from, from getting a submission, I assume. I think she's going for a sharpshooter, but Baszler reverses it into a small package, which the referee doesn't see, of course, because Reginald's up on the apron. Baszler's furious. She demands that Reginald leaves. He starts to leave. We almost got through the entire show without it. Spooky bollocks! Pyro goes off on the stage. He falls on his ass off the back of it, sells it again. And Baszler is distracted by this somehow, still yelling at him and bollocking him. Surprise, surprise, Natalia, roll up, small package. One, two, three. <sighs> Natalia and Tamina retain the women's tag team titles. And after the match, Baszler walks down to the ramp, grabs Reginald and said, next week, we're going to be fighting. And you're going to wish... I'm going to make you look like else. No, sorry. I'm going to make you wish you were in that explosion with what I'm going to do to you. And that was the end of the show, Hamlet. Thank God. Yeah. Bad match. Uh, virtually the same finish. Obviously, just all the more frustrating because the person, you you know, I don't anymore, but you might still want to like it. And Shayna Paisler is just rendered useless. You say, Wilborn, that we thought we'd gone all show without spooky bollocks. Don't think so, brother. Lily was backstage in a conversation with Shayna and Nia and Reginald earlier on, watching, looking on. So there's, uh, there's further confirmation of your feud about something that won't mean anything in three months. Um, I I hate this, but I don't have the energy to hate by the end of a three-hour roll. Mm. Like, if this drops in the first hour, yeah, what, whatever bit of it is that you're angry with, Shayna Baszler getting buried, a bad tag team title match, Lily, fire, whatever. you like, oh, full of beans, full of, like, this is the best place for this stuff because I don't have the energy left to hate after watching. <laughs> yeah. You know, on double speed. Three, I don't have, like, the energy to be angry. Um, I don't have any interest in Shayna Baszler versus Reginald. I feel like if there's one crumb of comfort, if it's even a crumb of comfort to you, maybe this is the end of Shayna and Naya. Mm. Naya will pick Reginald. Shayna Baszler's going to lose to a, a Cirque du Soleil extra. Uh, but that's going to be the end of their team. Start. Quite funny watching the arm get worked, and then Nia Jax does this like leg drop into the twisted arm spot, and then the, the, the match ends virtually via explosion and roll up. Explosion, then roll up. Oh, that arm work for now. Oh, Christ, I was so gripped by it. It was so immersive. It looked like she was in such agony. It was building. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know what to say about a match I've seen a million times. The the supernatural shadow that hung over everything is just totally lame. Reginald versus Shayna Baszler is an absolute nightmare scenario for anyone mm. who might have invested in NXT. It's like just insane bingo. Insane bingo. I don't know what I'm saying. I have 45 seconds. Of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the beat the clock challenge. You can, I can understand why Rhea Ripley struggled then this week. It's the worst show I've ever seen. Like, and I watch kids' TV show regularly because I have to watch them because sometimes they'll say, oh, Dad, that was funny. I was like, oh, I'm just looking at Twitter. So, yeah, okay. I'll watch, <laughs> I'll watch five minutes of this and it's uh, like stories have continuity. Yeah. Um, I won't have people bash Kids TV because I watch enough of this to know that Kids TV is at least structurally tight. Yes. I won't have people give it grief. I will, I will say this. Uh, I did end this show on a happy note because... It finished. Well, A, it was finished. Yes, exactly, Sige. 
but B, due to the unique way that the holidays fall here in the UK, uh, we got a bank holiday on Monday, which means we wouldn't be doing the raw preview because I'm certainly not previewing that on my day off. So we're going to record it in advance. Put a hamlet's off on Friday, and I, I daren't ask Sedgwick to record it on a Friday as well because he's going to have to do the SmackDown preview. So we're going to record the raw preview on Thursday, but at least not one of the matches that's going to be on the show. It's all good. <sighs> Why don't I do a raw preview? Who cares? Four days before the script is torn up and three before it's even written. That <laughs> no, we're going to have to... We know two matches, don't we? We've got Kofi and Drew as well. Oh, here we go, man. We've got this more is, is, Monday previews. Oh, again, an hour and a half on this. It's raw. Who gives a fuck? This is a probably a conversation we should be having when the record button stops, but we have to do something different to the raw preview. We'll have to. I do think so. I don't know what, but we, we do. Or we could just do it as a 45 second thing, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> just get the mid roll out, mid roll out, and then I'm, des- I'm busting for a piss. <laughs> Hello, nothing matters. <laughs> <laughs> Right, uh, let us know your thoughts on Monday Night Raw on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... I'm Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilburn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts where you can also, of course, leave your five-star review, review, suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to review instead of a god-awful segment on Monday Night Raw. And uh, subscribe to that, of course, for daily wrestling podcasts, including our NXT preview later on today. But for now, this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.